Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, and I'm so happy you are here today. I just cannot hardly stand it. I'm so excited about my guest on the show today, Paul Epstein. He is such an amazing person. You are going to literally get so much out of this interview. Paul used to be the head of sales and chief revenue officer for the San Francisco 49ers. And he went to a leadership seminar that changed his life where he learned what his why was. And it made him question everything he was doing. And he left the NFL, left sports to go create his own, uh, his own consulting company where he helps people find their whys and he's doing amazing things. He's got a new book coming out. His first book is called The Power of Playing Offense. This next one is going to be about making decisions faster, making good decisions faster. He drops so much knowledge in this interview. You are going to walk away feeling inspired to go find your why. He even gives you a free assessment tool to go in and discover your why. So hang tight all the way to the end of the interview so that you can get the link to that. It is in the show notes as well. And I just want you to hang tight and I'll be right back with Paul. All right. Well, everybody, welcome back. I have Paul Epstein with me. I cannot wait for this conversation. Paul, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Carrie. I am fired up. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So you are so big on finding your why. And yeah. I know that you went through a career transition working for the NFL and trying to figure out what you wanted to do that made a bigger impact. So tell us a little bit about your story and how you started to find your why. Absolutely. So background is 15 years in the NFL and NBA. No, I was not the player. I'm 5'9 and a buck 80 in full transparency. So unless I can kick the ball, that ain't going to get me very far. But thankfully, from a young age, I always had a knack for it started as communication. And then my whole family said, oh, you should sell some things. <laughs> and then, so they thought I'd end up in a courtroom <laughs> just being a lawyer or something. That's probably a lot of the movies talking. But long story short, after undergrad and I studied business and sales and marketing, it was about a year after where I got pulled into an industry that I didn't know even existed. Like now sports management is such a thing and you go to school for it. Back then, it was literally an ESPN radio infomercial that pulled me and I'm working at a Fortune 10 right out of undergrad, making six figures and I call this my six figure to $7 leap because $7 an hour is literally how much I got paid as an entry level ticket seller for the LA Clippers who ESPN said you are the worst brand in sports. Then Sports Illustrated says you are the worst franchise in sports history. So good luck selling that. Oh, <laughs> down the hall is a guy named Shaq and Kobe. And so, you know, you're just like fighting and scrapping and clawing. But that's where I learned. I knew the revenue generating side of it and I figured that out and I knew there was some sort of a gift there. But what I didn't realize is just how much I would fall in love with this industry from fandom to professional and ultimately, yeah, selling widgets, check, check, and check. But what fascinated me, Carrie, was when I got that first promotion from player to coach, so from seller to sales manager. And by the way, I think business, we have it 
backwards. We are so backwards. In sports, you don't just say, if you're a great performer, go coach a team. On the contrary, some of the best coaches in sports were just role players. But they understood not only the game, more importantly, they understood people. And I think that's a massive gap in leadership and going from player to coach. It's like, am I even supposed to be coaching the team? Do you... Do I really want to coach the team? Is this who I am intrinsically? So that was a lesson that I learned really early in my career. And then if I fast-tracked it from LA to New Orleans to Sacramento, those were the three NBA teams that I worked for. Then I go to New York and I work for the NFL League office on behalf of a global agency owned by the Yankees and Cowboys. So a lot of blue chip brands there. We broke an all-time Super Bowl revenue record. And then most recently, for about a handful of years, I hung out in the Bay as chief revenue officer, head of sales and biz dev for the San Francisco 49ers. So that's kind of the, the bio and the resume and opening up the billion dollar stadium. But the reason I'm not talking to you right now, Carrie, still in the sports industry, what happened before the Jerry Maguire-like leap was there was a leadership offsite retreat that changed my life in 2016. Literally months after getting married on the field of Levi Stadium, I swear it was my wife's idea. I got outvoted one-to-one, -one, and there you go. A couple months later, a couple months later, like I'm still in this kid-in-a-candy-store mindset, <laughs> living a dream. And I go to this retreat, and I find my why and my values, and I've never been the same since. And it was a, an amazing internal discovery and transformation. That's the positive. The other side is it also created some tension because I realized that I was showing up as two different people. I had a work me, and then I had a personal me. And until I knew who I was from the inside out, my why and my values, I didn't realize how separated they were. Why did it take you, you know, so long to like do that type of self-assessment, like really go, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to go to this, this leadership workshop and, and do this deep dive. I'm curious about this because I'm, I'm mentoring a young kid right now and we're just having this conversation and he's like, I don't know. I don't know that about myself. So I, I want to know, you know, what, what it was like for you, um, prior and then jumping into that leadership workshop. Frankly, I think it's a blind spot for far too many people in the world. I was in that group. And some of it I can own. Also, I think some of it's environmental. I'm just going to shoot straight. I was a very alpha industry, high performers, high achievers, whether yes, on the field or the court or the ice, whatever. But me in the front office, in the boardroom, we mirrored that intensity. It was very much a sink or swim mentality. So I got obsessed with career growth. I was told to achieve and acquire and get the trophies. And it was success, success, success. Now I have a very different view about what success means. Now I have an internal scoreboard versus an external scoreboard. We can get to that a little bit later in the convo. But what took me so long, part of it was environment. Nobody ever said, figure out who you are. Nobody ever said, lead from within. That just wasn't the industry that I was in. And so I was a product of the environment. The other part is, I think that these things happen when they're supposed to happen. In other words, I was one of 20 plus people at this retreat. And I know for a fact that not everybody's life changed because of the retreat. And I'm not knocking anybody else. I'm actually saying, because I've been in the other 19 people where you leave inspired and then a week later, it's just a sugar high. <laughs> Yet another event or conference or retreat and you leave like you're going to conquer the world, but then no change happens 365 later 
because life happens. Inboxes, distractions, family, all these things, we get pulled in a million directions as leaders. So that's another part of it was, for me, it was the right message, the right time. I was ready to hear it. That's probably the biggest thing. They could have facilitated that workshop. It was an outgrowth of Simon Sinek and Start With Why, and it was a consulting group that had an affiliation with them. I could have gone to that workshop 20 times, and maybe the other 19 don't have the same effect. So a little bit of it is how ready are you to hear it? How ready are you to embrace and absorb it? Do you think you were feeling unfulfilled in your job and in your career when you uh, when you were ready to hear this? Such a savvy and great question <laughs> because I didn't know that I was not 10 out of 10 happy, not 10 out of 10 fulfilled. And literally within days of finding my why and values, I realized that I was far from a 10 out of 10. Yeah. So I needed to unpack this a bit and it wasn't pleasant. It was pretty uncomfortable to be honest, but here's part of my solution because I'm a big believer that the best way to learn is to teach. And I knew that I was learning a lot about myself in this moment as a person and as a leader. So what I did, I go back in the front office the next day after I found my why, and I literally, from the top of a soapbox, whoever would listen to me, starting with my team, I said, I just did this awesome thing at this retreat. And that was it. But then one day later, one person from my team comes up to me and says, hey, Paul, that thing you did at the retreat, you think you could help me find my why? And the next day, another person. One leads to two, leads to five, leads to 10, leads to nearly 50 people. Started with business, then some players, then some coaches, even HR eventually hits me up and says, hey, Paul, opt-in basis, what do you think of implementing this into our recruiting and onboarding? I said, hell yeah. And that's what led to me being known as the Y coach of the San Francisco 49ers. So I got so obsessed with coaching this and in turn, it helped me infinitely more than probably me helping anybody else because I was just living it, eating it, breathing it. And eventually the passion project won out over my day job. I love that. And I want to talk about that next, but I'm super curious. <clears throat> Coaching NFL players, right? Who are making millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars. And I think so many, so often, especially like my son might put them on a pedestal. Like he thinks he's going to be in the NBA, but he can't jump. So I don't think he's going to be in the NBA, <laughs> but there he's like, they're living their dream, mom. They're living their dream. And it was like, you have no idea if they're living their dream. And mm -hmm. so maybe give a little bit of insight of what it's like to coach people who are truly the very best in the world at what they do. And they too are questioning Am I, am I supposed to be doing this? Oh gosh. It's so fascinating to dive. The deeper you dive into the answers to that question, yeah. it's beyond fascinating because I'll center it around one word, identity. Yeah. If you are at that level of sports performance, any performance, but let's just talk athletes. Cause that's where we are from four, five, six years old you have had this immaculate gift and talent. It's like a superpower that like you were a quote unquote, a man amongst boys when you were the boy, but you're playing just at another level and the whole world applauds you. You're the popular kid. Like how could you ever not have this thing called the sport 
in your life. Like you're the basketball guy or gal, whatever it is. And you just go on to thrive. And eventually the crowds get bigger from junior to senior high and then college and then professional, depending on what, what sport you play and what side of the fence and all that stuff, there could be millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars that you're getting paid for this thing. And all along the way, you're supposed to be navigating a life outside of this identity, but very few athletes do not be, not because they don't want to. I just think it's such a disciplined focus. It's kind of like me when I was chasing the trophy, when I'm chasing the success, you have blinders on. And so where I've really come into a lot of my coaching work with athletes is the outside always looks great, but we've also understand the reality of what happens if a catastrophic injury hits. Also, what if you do kill it? And what if you crush it for 15, 20 years? What are you going to do after you're 40 years old? What are you going to do? Since four years old, you've been doing one thing. And depending again, who it is, college degree, no college, like there's so many circumstances, but it all hangs back on this one piece of identity. Is your identity being an athlete or is your identity who you are underneath the rib cage? And that's really where I think about it. And so when I coach others, it's about life beyond the game because whether your career ends early or there's so many people that think they're going to make the pros and then maybe they don't get drafted and they read the practice squad and now they're not making a ton of money. And they're like, my gosh, my buddy's in insurance and he's making 10 times more than me. And I already invested 20 years of my life in this. The last thing I'll share on this, Carrie, that I think it's a valuable insight for everybody is I call it the sunk cost bias. It's what I went through when I took my Jerry Maguire leap, and it's what I try to coach and impress upon other professional athletes so that they can open up to possibilities and opportunities beyond the game. And here's what the sunk cost bias is. And the same can apply even to a relationship. The longer you've been in something, the more afraid you are to leave it because your perception is, I would have wasted all that time. So if I've been with this person for 15 years, but I'm not happy, they're not the one, but we stay together because I'm like, did I just waste a decade and a half? And the same applies to a career. You think you're climbing the right ladder and maybe you never even thought about the ladder you're climbing, but now you reflect back and you're like, oh shit, like what if this is not my ladder? I don't believe in this ladder anymore. And so when you come to that point, I would argue that's why most people don't leave sports like I did because of a sunk cost bias. I talk to people privately all the time that have thought about the leap, but they don't because I think there's a sunk cost bias versus for me. I said, well, I learned a lot. And now that I know who I am, it actually turned out to be one of the easiest decisions of my life because it was values based. I had to learn who I was and that's what gave me the clarity and the confidence and the courage to take the leap. But the same thing happens with athletes. It's just, there is no sunk cost bias. If you've been playing since you were four, if your identity is something bigger than being an athlete, then you're going to be just fine. If your identity is being an athlete, then we've got some work to do. Yeah. It still resonates with me. Um, no, I'm no professional athlete, uh, uh, but I always felt my identity around how hard I work and how successful I was going to be. And, um, and that mixed with, you know, some childhood trauma and, and, uh, and not dealing with it caused me to over identify with Mm. my work self and success. 
and it caused you know a lot of heartache and 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 substance abuse issues and and all kinds of things. Yeah. And as I had to like when I when I hit rock bottom and I had to look at rebuilding my life, I had to explore that over identification with success and um, mm -hmm. status and like all these things that weren't important to me because I didn't know how to like how to how to step out of out of that. Right. And say I've built yeah. this whole life. I've done all these things. My whole self-worth is built around something that is kind of bullshit and I have to start over again. And it's so hard. But now looking, you know, this is six, 16 years ago. Um, uh, I overdosed on Labor Day of, of 2006. So 16 years ago of Labor Day this, um, this year, I, um, I look back on it and I am so incredibly grateful for all that I went through, all that experience that I gained, all of the adversity and hardship that mm. I went through. And, you know, quite, quite honestly, like the, 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 pain and trauma I put myself through and because I wouldn't be here where I am today where it's truly authentic success because it's about making an impact in other people's lives. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I am really grateful for that. But in that moment, when I was trying to like pull myself out of that, I literally did not know how do I walk away from this life that I have built and go home and move back in with my mother so that I can rebuild my life. And it was embarrassing and I felt shame and I, um, you know, I had to take a hard look in the mirror and say, it's all a facade. So you mm -hmm. might as well face it now and let's go do what you're really meant to do. But that's really, really tough thing to do. So, you know, different yeah. context than what you just talked about with, with athletes, but very real. Yeah. And Carrie, if I could add one thing, well, two, for one, uh, what you just said is one of the most awesome, authentic, vulnerable things I've heard. And so I really hope folks listen in on, I know everybody listening probably knows part of your story or all your story, but I, that's who you are. And that's my closing message of what you and I just said, attach your identity, not to what you do or what you want, attach it to who you are and why you do it. So yeah. who and why will beat the what, but we are trained to do the what effectively well. So I think that's a very simple way of thinking about it. When you're, when you decide like, who am I? And why do I do what I do? Not just professionally, right. like literally, why do I choose that friend over that friend? Like, what do they have that I'm literally talking about human characteristics and qualities and attributes that, that in a positive way, trigger you, right? We think of triggers as negatives and they can be, but if something's creating tension in your life, that's a good thing. Like you need to lean into that. Like you need to be like, why does this bother me? Versus when something excites you, you're like, hell yes. Why did that excite? Don't just say, I love this food. I love, no, why, why? So why and who beat the what? That is a game to master identity. I love it. I love it. Okay. So you clearly you're the expert at this. So tell us what happens, right? Okay. You, you're coaching, you're doing, you're the Y coach in the NFL at 49ers and now you leave to go do something different. Tell us about what that transition was like. Yeah, well, I'll start at the conversation that created that transition because I think this is a really fascinating one. So when I started to make life decisions through the lens of my values, one of my values was growth, growth, growth mindset. I told myself, do something you said you would never do. And it sounds a little foolish, but I said, ah, I would never go back to school because for me, undergrad was, it was a good time. It was a party in the sports industry. I don't need the three letters of MBA to climb a ladder. So I never considered it. But now after I figured out who I was, I asked myself, what if sports isn't forever? Like, what if it's not always my climb? 
And so because of that, I said, screw it. I'm going to go back to school. Like literally it was a values-based decision. So growth gets me back to school. One month into University of Michigan, executive MBA program, I meet with my executive coach, Sue Ann. And Sue Ann, little did I know, was about to change my life. Sue Ann sits me down. She says, I know what you do, which at the time was head of sales Niners. She said, what do you love about it? What do you hate about it? And what do you tolerate? And I answered all three. And then she said, go deeper on that love bucket. I said, you know, Sue Ann, I love being a coach just like you. I love molding and grooming and developing talent. I love the people side of business, the culture side. And she said, awesome. On a good day, what percentage of your time do you do that? And I literally just like started slouching in my chair. I was pissed <laughs> off. Like, I don't know, Sue Ann, like 10 to 20%. She said, okay, 20%. If I wave a wand and you become your boss tomorrow, does that number 20% go up, down, or sideways? And I said, hmm. Well, my boss, more strategy, not a lot of people. So I don't know, probably down. And this was the question that led to the leap. And then I'll share what I did ever since. She says, so what are you after? And Carrie, it's such a simple question. What are you after? To everybody listening in right now, what are you after? And until that point, I never thought about it. So I was just kind of on autopilot. I was just living and this lesson of doing what I loved less than 10 to 20% of the day, I don't know if 100% is possible, but this convinced me that I should just die trying. Like I'm just going to go because I wanted to graduate from living to feeling alive. And that's a graduation that there is no price tag for. Most people in this world are just living. Just as was I, by the way. No judgment if you're listening in and you're just living. I'm telling you. Feeling alive is priceless. There is a process to get there. I'm not a go take an irresponsible leap and, and disrupt your entire life in 24. No, it took mentally that conversation with Sue Ann. I knew I was going to leave sports. It took me seven or eight months to connect all the dots, find the right opportunity, make sure my family's okay. So like I get life, but I knew it was non-negotiable to leave. I just didn't know when and where. But I knew I was leaving. And I think that type of conviction is what's necessary when, if you want to change your life, period. So what I've been doing ever since, kind of in the way we were introduced, Carrie, is now we're in the thought leadership space. I, I always say I've, I graduated from a career to a calling. I am called to inspire other people. I am called to inspire leaders to become the best version of themselves because when we can show up at our best at work, we're going to work over 100,000 hours. Imagine how many people's lives you impact over the course of 100,000 hours of a career. The exponential possibilities of how much good you can do in the world by just simply leading yourself and showing up at your best in the mirror. Because here's my message for all leaders out there is, if you thought of the greatest leader that you've ever had, anybody, parent, coach, mentor, business leader, who is that person? And what made you think of them? What did they do? And my gut after asking tens of thousands of people this is, you would follow them to the end of the earth and back, not just because of how they led you. They first led themselves. If they did a crappy job of leading themselves, you would not follow them till the end of the earth. I know that to be true. And so if that's the case, we just, we try to master leadership of others. Like the Webster Diction, Dictionary, it talks about leadership, about rank, role, title, authority. It's absolute BS. 
It is fundamental BS because before you lead others, you have to lead yourself. If we can master leadership of self, the leadership of others actually becomes easy. But leadership of others is very hard because most of us haven't done the hard work to lead ourselves. Oh, you're so speaking my language. I love self-leadership. I speak on self-leadership uh, and uh, and I teach self-leadership. Uh, it's, it's actually one of our core values at my company, Stone Age. And I will never forget the conversation I had with my mother. It was it was uh, it, it, on day three of being in bed uh, and not being able to go to work after my overdose. And I called her and I told her everything and I said I need to come home. <clears throat> and part of the reason why I hit rock bottom was I hated my job. And, uh, and I just, it wasn't the right fit for my skills and my talents. It wasn't the right culture. I didn't like my boss. And I told my mom, you know, I was really relating all of this to this work and this image that I had tried to build around success. And I said, you know, I just, I want to be a leader. I know I can be an amazing leader. And she said, Shotzi, that's my nickname. She calls me Shotzi. Shotzi, <laughs> you have so much potential and I believe that you can do exactly that. But you cannot eat, lead others well until you lead yourself well, and you need mm. to get your life together. And that was the first time anybody, even her in all my life, anybody had like introduced this idea of leading yourself. And that is the, I it just hung on to that. I was like, lead myself, lead myself, lead myself. Like, yes. And mm. I am so with you. I look at uh, all the, the horrible leadership that we are surrounded by today and the positions of power that people are in that have a tremendous ability to impact the quality of people's lives for good or for mm -hmm. bad. And mm -hmm. they cannot lead themselves. They are unethical. They don't take care of themselves. They don't have self-awareness. You know, they lead through fear. They're not transparent. And it's like, how, how can you be a successful people leader if you're not successful at leading yourself first? Yeah. And, and gosh, there's so much to love about what you said. Thinking of our community and listeners that we're talking to right now, here's a quick litmus test on how you can know and also keep yourself, because I'm a big believer that good people can have bad behaviors if they're unaware. Okay. Oh, I, I have shown up in a very bad way in certain moments of my life. Why? Yeah. I'm not a bad person. I know that to be true. I was raised well and groomed well and mentored well. I, I get that. But I show up in bad ways sometimes because I was unaware. So here's a great litmus test. Every time you walk in a room, nowadays, every time you walk in a Zoom meeting, just anything that you do, when you walk in the room, are you warming it up or are you cooling it off? And the question is, are you aware of your own temperature? If you can always be aware of your temperature, leadership of self becomes a lot easier yeah. because awareness is really the key. Nobody wakes up. I, I, if nobody is too extreme. I bet you very, very few people in the world wake up and say, I'm going to be an a-hole. Like nobody wants that like negative feelings in their life. But then an hour later, they're behaving badly. Why? Unawareness, unawareness, unawareness. So if we fix awareness, a lot of the other problems and toxic behaviors get solved.
Yep, totally. Um, yep. I try to be the bringer of joy. Uh, and I did this with my team. What do you want to be the bringer of? And they all made fun of me. And now, like, this was probably like 10 years ago. Like, really? This is what you're mm. going to make us do? I was like, honestly, like, what do you want to be the bringer of? How do you want people to experience you? And I said, I want to be the bringer of joy. Every time I walk into a room, I want people to feel more joyful because we're talking about something that's fun or they're inspired about our vision or they're getting to talk about themselves. And so, you know, how do you make people feel special? And, and so if you get really clear on what you want to be the bringer of and use that as whatever your superpower is, right? Mine happens that I am a very joyful person. Um, mm -hmm. Boy, you can, you can be much more intentional, even if you don't have a ton of self-awareness. Like when I walk in a room and go, okay, I'm going to be the bigger bringer of joy. You walk in with a smile and you ask people how they're doing and you are curious about them. So that's my little trick. What do you want to be the bringer of? And nobody's uh, going to say, well, I want to be the bringer of misery and negativity. You know? <laughs> it's so good. No, I would, as soon as you said that uh, in rapid, I was listening and while I'm listening to, I'm like, oh gosh, if she asked me, what am I the bringer of? Yeah. To me, it was no doubt impact, impact, like make yeah. a difference, leave people in places better than you found them. Like if that's my measuring stick of success. And so, but yeah, it's about what you bring and a yeah. cool thing to model for everybody listening in. If you have trouble finding that whatever your joy or in my case, impact is the way you heard Carrie and I just choose that word, ask five of the people that know you the best in the world, different. Like if there's one parent, one spouse, one professional, like mix it up a little bit, five people that know you super well, describe me in a word and let them tell you two, three, four, five words. It's fine, but just source yeah. it from the people that know you the best and look for some common themes. And that's a very cool way to get to your word. Yeah. I love that. That's great. And, you know, I love this whole conversation. I've been thinking a lot about, um, you know, my role as a leader, I've been, uh, leading Stone Age for 16 years now, uh, will be 16 years in January CEO for 13 of those years. And, um, and I've been thinking a lot about what my role is. <clears throat> and I actually just gave one of my executives some feedback around, uh, you have to be a developer of people. Like that's how I'm going to measure you is how well you develop people. And I think that's where all of this comes from, right? Is that, okay, if you know how to lead yourself through developing that awareness, knowing what you're the bringer of and really growing that, then you can start to use that to turn around and say, here's how I'm going to help develop other people. And that's such a powerful thing. I think that's when, when you think about the leader who, you know, who you would follow to the ends of the earth, the most impactful one, it's going to be that person who helped you um, become a 100%. better person and a better employee and a better spouse or all of those different things. And that's where this is so much fun because then you can make such an impact, right? When you understand your why and you're showing up as your authentic self with selflessness and an and impact um, as the outcomes that you're looking for, then you truly can change your company, change your team, change the world. Yeah. And I love what you said. You connected it at home. That's true. If you're listening in right now, if you love what you do and you love the people you do it with and for, and you're just in a happy, joyful place, you're probably going to walk through your front door in a similar mood and mindset. Your energy and attitude will be better versus I hate what I do. Well, it's the opposite. So let's not overly separate work and home or work and life. They are so integrated. We are not robots. There is no switch of, well, I'm happy at work and I hate it at home and vice versa. Normally there is a heavy correlation, heavy correlation. And since we're going to work for the biggest chunk of time, we start there 
And then if we can nail that and be positive in that, then it trickles out into the rest of our life. So I think it's just a win, win, win. Nobody loses when you love what you do. Yep. And you know, something is really powerful with this conversation about how you bring it home, especially if you have children. Um, a, yeah. a good friend of mine, Sally Thornton, she's a speaker and a consultant in the Bay Area as well. I should hook you up with her. She's amazing. She started, shared a study with me um, about, they asked uh, like 800 children, what's the number one thing that you wish were different about your parents? And, you know, she asked me that, what do you think? What would, what do you think kids would say? What would they want more of or less of from their parents? And I said, well, definitely time. Right. Cause I think about all mm -hmm. the time I spend working and, and mm -hmm. that's what I meant. So I would say, she's like, no, hands down. The majority of children said, I wish my parents were less stressed, Ooh. less stressed. Ooh. And I, it, it gives me goosebumps now. Right. Because mm. That's such an important thing. And when we are not feeling whole at work or we're worried about money or worried about all of these different things that usually come from our careers, many of them, we bring that into our homes and our children are looking for time, right? A lot of them want to live their own lives too. My nine-year-old son does, <laughs> but they don't want you to be stressed. Mm. And that's why it's so important to make sure that you're, that you're purposeful and your work, because that helps you be able to come home to your family feeling less stressed. And that's what your child mm. wants. Yeah. I, I learned something. Amen to everything you just said. I learned this yeah. from uh, an old mentor and leader of mine named Bob Chapman, heads up a $3 billion organization, uh, Barry Waymiller. They're, they're known as the culture oh, yeah. gurus, like Harvard uh, teaches their stuff as a, a culture case study. So I learned a lot about leadership and people from Bob. And one of the things he says, and some people think this sounds too woo woo. And, and if you look at the spirit of the words versus the words, I think this will resonate with everybody. So he says, the impact we have at business and then how it carries over into the home. He says, who in the crowd, and he largely speaks to, to C-suites, he says, who in the crowd has kids? And everybody raises their hands. And then he kind of creates this gap conversation about how are you leading at work versus how do you lead at home? And everyone, you know, says their stuff. But then he says, do you realize that every single person that you lead is somebody's son or daughter? Yeah. Would you treat your own son or daughter that way? And then he challenges them and he says, would you recommend that your son or daughter work inside your company. And I'm not talking a family business. It's like, if you said, I want my daughter to be the most happiest, joyful, fulfilled, would you put her inside your organization? And, it, and you don't need to answer that externally, but you should answer that internally. And if your answer is anything short of hell, yes, then you need to change. And yeah. like, it's just a beautiful, challenging way of like, Love dude, it. that is somebody's son or daughter, like treat yeah. them like that. Because if they yeah. were your own, you probably would do something different. Absolutely. Amen to that. Ah, this is so much fun. So I want to talk about your book and what you're doing, you're speaking. So tell us a little bit about, um, about what you've got going on right now. Absolutely. So first book launched back in 21, became a bestseller is The Power of Playing Offense, a leader's playbook for personal and team transformation. And really, Carrie, we've been talking about playing offense this entire conversation. Right. I essentially wrote the leadership playbook that I never had. Remember that player to coach jump that we talked about? I asked myself, well, what was the pain that I experienced during my climb? How can I prevent others from so much trial and error and figure it out on your own, or frankly, like just that soulless feeling of, my gosh, I have not been putting people first. Basically, it's a playbook for taking people first from a bumper sticker to a 365 way of life. And that, that really has been it. It 
because of the leadership of self, with the premise being before you lead others, you must first lead yourself, what we've done there is we've democratized leadership. That's it. I don't believe in a world in a 10 to 1 reporting ratio where 90% of us report into 10%, and so we're just followers. BS. Every single person in this world can lead themselves, no title required, if they step into it. So that's the first book. Then as I coached and trained and consulted around how to play offense in a defensive world, how to lead offensively in a defensive climate. Those were the types of spirits and messages that I've been preaching from the mountaintops. And then people always ask me, Paul, this is a lot. I love it. But can you condense and curate this down to the singular thing, the singular thing that people, leaders, teams, cultures, and organizations that play offense do versus those that play defense? And after a lot of research and conversations and just many adult beverages with very frank conversations with leaders in this world that are from Fortune 50s all the way to high growth startups and everything in between. And I just really boiled it down to this. Those that play offense make better decisions faster, yep. period. Because the quality of our business, the quality of our life comes down to the decisions that we make or don't take, the actions that we take or don't take. And taking action is a decision in and of itself. So the lowest common denominator is decisions. How amazing would it be if you could make better decisions faster? So that's the name of my second book, Better Decisions Faster. My process, I call it the head, heart, hands equation, and it is exactly what it sounds like. Head plus heart equals hands. When you decide what to do with your hands, which is action, you check in with your head, mindset, do I think it's a good idea? You check in with your heart, is this authentic? Is this authentically who I am and how I feel? When both your head and your heart are on board, green light, take action. Neither is on board, red light, no action. One is on board where a lot of business and life lie, that's the yellow. So I'm getting people to attack more green, stop running reds, and be able to navigate that messy middle of yellow. And that book will come out spring of 23. Love it. And we have the same publisher. So super exciting <laughs> about that. Love them. Yeah. Shout out <laughs> Amplify. Let's go. <laughs> All right. And, and then speaking and consulting, uh, you know, how, where do you speak and how can people find you? Absolutely. So everything is at paulepsteinspeaks.com. I am speaking largely in the corporate circuit and just keynotes all over the globe. And also I'm a 365 impact guy. So this is very much keynote plus because yes, we can accomplish a lot and do a lot of great things in an hour. And then what? How do we ensure that if I were to check in three, six, nine, 12 months later, that impact is being felt, that there's positive ROI in your business, leaders are leveling up, people's happiness, fulfillment, success, significance. Like we gotta put measuring sticks on this and, and I have resources to ensure that there is growth along the journey. So it starts speaking, it starts at a keynote engagement, and then we roll our sleeves up through workshops and coaching, and I'm part of an amazing team that really helps bring that to life. But everything is at paulepsteinspeaks.com. That's fantastic. And if someone wanted to learn more about their why, do you have a resource that you could point them to? For sure. Yep. You, you led me right to it. I, I freaking love it. Uh, five minute discovery. So the old school way of finding your why, eh, give me two hours, three hours, four hours to coach you up or a half day, full day workshop. Now it's five minutes. 
the the beauty of evolution and innovation. <laughs> so uh, me and my partners at the Y Institute, uh, here's the URL, and I'm sure, Carrie, you could just throw it in the show notes. Y-W-H-Y-Y-Institute.com forward slash purpose, Y-Institute.com forward slash purpose. There are nine possible whys in the world. You have one of them. In five minutes, you will know exactly which of the nine whys is yours. I love it. I'm going to take it today or maybe tomorrow when I'm on a plane traveling to Europe. Done. Done. (laughs) Awesome. Well, if you're going to Europe, you could take it uh, probably 200 times. And I will challenge you to say that you will get the same why every time. So there you go. I don't know. Maybe maybe I won't take it 200, but maybe I'll try it once (laughs) or twice. No, no, no. Just take it once. Take it once. Yeah. You know what I'm going to do on my flight? I'm going, I have a a few more developmental edits on my book, so I have to get those done. So that's what I'm going to do on my plane instead of taking your why assessment 200 times. You know what the beauty is in five minutes, I bet you can do all your developmental edits and tack on five minutes and you will get off that plane knowing your why. It's like best of both worlds. I love it. It's like, I'm so excited for, you know, 18 hours of travel tomorrow. (laughs) All right. And I have two final questions uh, for you before we go. The name of this podcast is Reflect Forward. What does Reflect Forward mean to you? You have to reflect on your entire life journey to know who you are today and Forward means think of the legacy that you want to leave behind. Fast forward to the celebration of your life and how you want to be remembered. Then reverse engineer that memory into the actions and the decisions that you take today. Your life from this point forward is building up to earn the celebration of your life and the words that are shared there. More importantly, the memories that you leave behind And I think it all starts by reflecting in the past, knowing who you are in the present, then you zip forward to the future celebration of your life and you reverse engineer it to how you show up today. Love it. Love that answer. One of my all time favorites, seriously. (laughs) And I've asked that question a lot. Uh, (laughs) All right. And then my last question, if you had one piece of advice for leaders looking to be the very best at what they do, what would that be? Lead from your heart because it's a forgotten art. Part of writing the head, heart, hands equation. If you think of head, heart, hands as think, feel, do. I don't need to convince you to think more. I don't need to convince you to do more. Our world is obsessed. We, We, if anything, overthink. And we just do, do, do. So when do we take a time out and a pause to check in with who we are, which is the heart? That's the authenticity. I'm not saying one is more important than the other. It's head and heart. Head plus heart equals hands. And right now we're just bypassing the heart and it's like head, 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 hands, hands, hands. Lead from your heart because it's a forgotten art. This whole life that we've had, we've been told to make smart decisions when in reality we should be making heart decisions. Oh, I love that. This has been such a fun interview. I could talk to you all day, but it's Friday. So it's Friday. we need to go enjoy our Friday evenings. And uh, and I just so appreciate you and your time today coming on the show and dropping all that wisdom on us. Oh, thanks so much, Carrie. Fired up for this first time and we'll do it again and we'll have you on yeah. my show. This is the start of a lot of special things. I cannot wait. Can't wait to meet you in person. I'm sure we're going to make that happen. Yes. Wonderful. All right. With that, we're going to end. So hang tight, everybody, and I'll be right back. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me on this amazing interview today. Hopefully you enjoyed it. 
please be sure to check out his books and uh, his assessment. And with that, I will leave you to your day. I look forward to hosting you on next week's Reflect Forward episode of Advice from a CEO. And of course, if you like this podcast, please write a review, rate it, share it with a friend. Always helps with the algorithms. And I love to spread the word of amazing, strong leadership and what you can do with your life when you become a great self-leader so that you can be a great people leader. Take care. See you next week. 